Hey everyone, welcome to B2B Made Simple. I'm Sam Moss, the CEO and co-founder of OneClick Agency. On this show, I interview marketing experts from fast-growing B2B SaaS companies. We feature podcast episodes I'm a guest on, and sometimes we throw in a consulting call I've done with another company. Our goal with this show is to equip you and give you the tools you need to be the best marketer you can be. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to B2B Made Simple, a marketing podcast for those who are in B2B marketing and looking to learn from their peers and get better at what they do. And my special guest today is Amanda Elam. She's the Senior Vice President of Global Marketing at Bloomreach. Uh, Amanda, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, To kick it off, I want to ask you, are you a Pepsi person or Coke person? If you had to choose, is there a direction you would go? (laughs) I like the Coca-Cola polar bear and the origins of Pepsi. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Do you have a taste preference or are you not much of a soda person? Oh, I do. I like soda, but I, I think um, I, I like Coke Zero. So maybe maybe that go. would make me lean more towards Coke. Okay, Team Coke. All right. For me, I, I really enjoy Dr. Pepper and I'm yeah. pretty sure that's a Coke product. So I just go with like, okay, I'll go Coke and it's over <laughs> Pepsi. So that's how I look at it. But um, all right, Team Coke. So we're aligned there. That's good. Um, so what we're going to talk about today is is brand building, um, you know, building a team that drives the brand forward, what brand actually looks like. And I think there are so many nuances um, between companies and even marketers that they they there's really no same answer. So I'm really curious to hear like your input on it. So my first question for you is what does building a successful brand even look like? I think it, I think it starts really with um, how we think about brand. And so when you're, you're talking about Coke and Pepsi and in, in that, what is a brand? Is it the set of logos and the colors or is it the products or, or really in the conversation that we're having, it's a part of your identity. It's like, are you a Coke person or a Pepsi person? And so in, in that, the brand really becomes a part of how you identify yourself. And, and in the B2C world, it's super, super easy to see that. You can tell if somebody is, is outdoorsy, like I'm here at this cabin with, with my son who, who very much loves REI and is focused on brands that support, um, that, are, that are sustainable and they support the environment and those kinds of things. It's super important to him, especially in the, in the upcoming generations, understanding what the ethos of a company is, is as important to them as the cool factor of the brand. And so in the, in the consumer world, you can see that the association is a part of the identity of the of the individual with what that brand means to them. And I think we, we kind of take that for granted in B2B. We forget that the companies that have been super successful are the ones that have be, built a community that identifies you as a certain type of, of uh, professional. So if you think of HubSpot, one of the brands that I love, when you're a HubSpot marketer, you're at least when, when it was up and coming for me, uh, that you're innovative, you're forward thinking, you're nimble, you're fast, you're focused on data. Uh, so I think brand is as much about who, what is the ethos of the people that you're trying to connect in the community that you're building as it is the, the logo and colors and mission statement. Mm -hmm. Why do you, and maybe I'm off base with this. I personally think that the B2B world is kind of behind like the curve when it comes to building a brand and depending on it, as opposed to like B2C. Um, So for example, when I think of like massive unicorn brands in the B2C world, so many come to mind. I mean, we have Apple, Samsung, uh, Macintosh, that's already Apple, but there's a bunch that come to mind, right? Um, 
But when I think about B2B, it takes me a little bit, like you brought up HubSpot. I'm like, oh yeah, that, that makes sense. But I think of Gong, um, Privy, yep. Drift, and only a few come to mind. And with that, I think that there are obviously less B2B brands that focus on building like a massive community and a following. Why do you think that these companies in this industry are so far behind the curve when it comes to the B2C world? I, I really think a lot of B2B companies spend so much time focusing on their product and their features, which is great. You want to build a product that, that people love and that they can use, but you forget to make it a part of the identity of the individual because it feels, because you can say we're a B2B company, it feels like you can separate the, the emotional or the personal attachment to the thing that you're using. But the companies that we have seen be successful, like many of the ones that you've mentioned, create tribes or create just rabid followers who, who are going to take that technology with them wherever they go because they see the value that the company brings. They like the identity that they have with the other users of that, of that product. They can see themselves in the community that that company has built. And, and those are really difficult things to do for B2B as opposed to just focusing on the features of the technology and making it work well. Mm-hmm. Do you think that it's glaringly different uh, when it comes to building a brand in B2B than it is in B2C? Um, I mean, I, I definitely think it's more more difficult in, in B2B to create this sense of community because you're not necessarily looking. So take, for example, my son, who I said is super outdoorsy and very much into hiking. He has a, he has a very specific um, uh, personal, emotional motivation to have investment. On the business side, it's oftentimes focused around what is this, how, do, how does this make me better? How do I improve? How do I uh, become better known, or I how do, how do I grow as an individual inside of this company? What value does this product give me in my career mm-hmm. growth? And that's really, really different for, for a lot of people. So I think for, for B2B, it could be a little bit harder to nail down like that common thread among, among the individuals that you're building this community with. But um, I think with a little bit of effort, you can do it. Yeah. I, honestly, I think about it in the way that like consumers in the B2B world are just so used to the rigidity of working with a company and not feeling a personal connection that these B2B brands have to break down like the barriers and get through to their, their audience and their buyers and and be like, look, it's enjoyable at times to be a fan of a B2C brand, rep their merch, do these things and, and the word of mouth and, and really enjoy being part of that community. And, we want that too. And here's like the personal connection. I think that's just been what's lacking is consumers in the B2B world are just so used to business as, as, as it's going right now and, and working with a business and that's it. And there's no personal connection. Do you think that plays a part in why there's, it's tougher? Yeah, definitely. And, and uh, again, when you think about your, the, the experience of going in as a consumer and meeting like-minded individuals, you do activities, there are things, there, there are actual other elements outside of the brand itself that connect you because there are these things that you enjoy doing. Um, where, whereas in the business world, I think we, we miss an opportunity to build that community and to connect these people and to help them find and meet and uh, spend time with and learn from each other and, and build like to say, to walk into a company, obviously I work for Bloomreach and be like, yes, we, our commerce engine is built on Bloomreach and to have that mean something and to be a badge of honor of some kind, um, that's, a, that's a tall order for a B2B company mm-hmm. to build. Yeah, um, 
one thing that I think the pandemic has really exposed is companies doing things wrong. Um, and they may have been puttering along and doing just right or doing just fine in the model that they had created. But when they get to a certain point, it's just not going to work anymore. And I think the pandemic kind of fast forwarded that for a number of companies. Um, so do you think the pandemic has changed the way companies think about brand? Hmm. I don't know. I've been so focused on uh, making sure we survive through the pandemic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I think that I, I would say that the, that what really became apparent in the pandemic are the companies that took the personal element really seriously mm -hmm. that we're saying that we're willing to say what well, we're as a globe, we're going through and experience something that we've, that we've never done before. And how can I provide value to my customer? How can I help my customer provide value to their customer? I don't want to focus on hitting my quarterly numbers or any of those things. I really want to focus on being, how can our company be a good participant in humanity through, through what mm -hmm. we're struggling with. And I think you saw brands that or companies rather and leaders that took that seriously and said, look, our KPIs for this quarter aren't going to be new ARR. It's going to really be, how do we have an impact on, on our social networks in a positive way? I think the brands that did that definitely um, received some social benefit from, from customers. Mm -hmm. it, it, I don't, at least I can't think of an example of a brand that did it so well that they essentially changed their trajectory of, of their own brand. Um, mm -hmm. But I do, I am hopeful that there were many that took that social responsibility seriously. Yeah. For me, I was not active on LinkedIn at all before COVID. And I was sitting at home bored and I was just like, you know what? I've heard a, a, a few people say that LinkedIn is really good for the B2B world. Uh, there's a lot of opportunity on there. So I, I explored it, um, started posting some things and really kind of got my feet under me when it comes to content figured out what people were consuming, figured out like an ideal audience to go after. And I think honestly, if I had started a year before, I would have definitely gotten traction, but I think the craving for community was just so prevalent during COVID that people were excited to be meeting new people online. And that's the only way they could do it. And I'm thankful that I was able to start when I did. And I think there's still opportunity for people to do that. But I think it's just literally just talking to people and creating relationship is a great way to kind of push the brand forward and, and give, build an affinity toward you. And then also awareness, like people didn't know what I did before that. I wasn't really on social that much. Now they do because of just being a human and engaging with people. Yeah. And I, I think that that is one thing that, that COVID brought that was potentially good. Was it standardized and normalized the online connection? It doesn't always need to be in person. And then also just that life is happening around you. Your kids are running in and out of the room. Dogs are running in another room. And so it, it did, I think, have us leap for leap forward on, uh, mm -hmm that virtual connections, but I'm definitely ready to start meeting people in person. Yeah, absolutely. In person. I'm a hundred percent for that. Something that comes to mind, do you think the, the rough around the edges, everyone knows they're at home um, sort of feeling when it comes to content or meetings will continue? Or do you think people will just start to button back up and try to be like, put this professional face on um, when it comes to marketing or sales or even content in general? I, I don't know. I mean, I haven't worn jeans in a year and a half, so <laughs> that we've I'm wearing shorts right now. No one yeah. would ever know. But. 
I think that uh, if anything, it's become very apparent that your ability to execute isn't dependent on your surroundings in many cases or the clothes that you're wearing and that, mm-hmm. that like, let's just make things efficient and comfortable and work in the way that you, that you want to. For me, that does look like being in an office. Um, mm-hmm. I, I have three kids at home and four dogs and it can be very, very difficult to work from home. But for a lot of other people, the flexibility, I, I don't think companies will have the option to go back to uh, less flexibility. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that you guys have done at Bloomreach within the past year, year and a half, um, directly trying to impact brand that you look back and you're like, wow, I am so glad that we invested in this or that we started getting the, the gears going on this particular function? Yeah, so we, I was actually the chief marketing officer at a company called Exponia that was acquired mm-hmm. by Bloomreach in the middle of the pandemic. And so our brand transformation was was quite stark in that we were acquired by a company called Bloomreach. In, in the midst of that acquisition, we decided it would make sense to rebrand both companies. And so we moved the, the Bloomreach brand at the moment was focused on enterprise, uh, essentially IT personas. And, and let's transition that more to match what was the Exponia branding, which was very bright and colorful and focused on more of the emotional elements of what, what was a marketing automation platform. And let's bring those two concepts together. And so we, we really focused on the visual and uh, content transformation of our brand. Mm-hmm. And then the challenge that we're going through at the moment is we're, we both organizations were focused on very different personas. So we had a more marketing e-commerce CRM manager persona married now to this IT chief digital officer uh, persona focused more on on AI rather than feature functionality in in a tool Mm -hmm. platform. So I'd say we're very much in the midst of this transformation at the moment. How do we make our brand uh, personal and relevant to such varying levels of personas uh, across the, uh, the organization? So Maybe we can do a catch up <laughs> in a year and I can tell you how it went. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, so, something that comes to mind is how tough was that? Because I've heard of acquisitions happening and I'm always sitting back and wondering, wow, do they, do they, what website do they go with? What brand are they under? Why did they go that direction? How tough was figuring all that out in the beginning? I mean, these were two separate brands going two different directions for the most part. And now you have to converge them (laughs) what was that like yeah so i mean it's it's been it's been unbelievable um we we were acquired in the middle of january Mm -hmm. Uh, on april 1st we launched our new brand identity Mm -hmm. um and really we uh we've announced two totally new product offerings and in the meantime we rebranded our entire product suite so what was the exponia product has changed to now be called bloom reach engagement Mm-hmm. And because and the the former product syntax of the of the Bloomreach products were were short shorthands like BRX and BRSM and things like that. And we said let's create emotional words that tie into the to the benefit that the products deliver. So really, both organizations underwent a tremendous amount of change, and it hasn't been um, it hasn't been super easy. But I can say that our our CEO Raj has been very very focused on how do we make sure that when we're positioning our brand or building out names for our product or creating our new messaging, that again, we're really speaking to the emotional elements of what mm-hmm. motivates our, our personas. And I think that's the beginning of how, how you build a community because we're starting to really say, what are the things that we wanna identify with? 
when someone works with us or becomes a customer of ours, what can they be proud of by working with us? Um, and I, I say we're at the very beginning of, of that transformation, but um, it has gone pretty smoothly, relatively speaking. Yeah. So it sounds like messaging was the first thing you addressed, right? Messaging was was the absolute uh, biggest focus. Our, our VP of brand and communications, Chelsea Nakano, led that effort and has been doing a great job really helping us, again, build in, we're not talking about product features and functionality, but really what is the, what is the vision for the future of commerce that we, that we see? And what do we believe in as a company? What do we, what are, who, who are we as a company and what do we want to see happen? Uh, and how, how can we be responsible? I mean, if you think about, we deal a lot with data. So we focus mm-hmm. a ton on data privacy and being responsible with data and making sure that the relationship you have with your consumers is one in which the exchange of data is a win-win. Mm-hmm. Um, what did it look like on social when you guys combined these brands? I, I feel like it was going two different directions and now it's, now you have one, obviously. Did you, did you keep company pages separate? Did you combine them? Like what was your strategy behind that or have you not gotten to it yet? Yeah, we rebranded um, all of the Bloomreach original property pages to the new logo, mm-hmm. which is which is a, a slight tweak and it, it the color change and, and those kinds of things. We did some messaging updates on the Bloomreach owned channels. On the on the formerly Exponia channels, we do still have the Exponia name visible, but we say you know acquired by hmm. Bloomreach, and the content that we post there is all uh, from the Bloomreach channels. And so we're really trying to move our audience from our exponent channels into Bloomreach. We also uh, entered into Instagram and TikTok and mm. started just posting some really fun content. I think, again, brands have been given a little bit more leeway from a consumer perspective to really have more fun on these channels. I think, again, because we've all started to see more of each other's humanity. And so I, I think we're, in addition to looking for that from our colleagues, we're looking for that from the, the companies that we're choosing to work with as well. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you should check out our, our TikTok and Instagram and let me know what you think. <laughs> I'll have to do that. That brings up uh, a point here that I've been wondering for a long time is when will the B2B world explore TikTok? And I keep thinking, you know, it's obviously B2, uh, B2C driven, right? But I'm a B2B buyer and I love spending time on TikTok. So I know that that audience is there. Um, what are some things that you guys have experimented with to build your your brand there, because I think a lot of, again, B2B is behind the curve on this sort of thing. And I think that it's, um, it has massive organic reach. So the potential there to pop off is is pretty um, substantial. And I just see people sleeping on it, myself included, but I I just don't know where to start. So what have you guys done? And and what do you find that's been resonating? You're hitting like your audience, like what's going on? Yeah, we, we, uh, so our audience, particularly in the, in the bloom reach engagement, uh, product set is, uh, we, we focus on, uh, marketing automation for B2C marketers. So they're, they're direct to consumer brands who have a big e-commerce website and they have these very innovative marketing professionals who are trying to create these connected omni-channel experiences and they want to do it across email, SMS. They, they want to make everything personalized. And the persona itself is a mid thirties or even much younger than that marketing professional who's really focused on growing social engagement with their prospective customers. And so they're very, very active on on TikTok and Instagram and the up and coming channels because that's where they're engaging with their D2C audience. And so we're, our 
thinking is if that's where they're living and breathing and the strategies that they're trying to figure out, we need to be visible there. A couple of things we didn't have were somebody who was super comfortable with and understood TikTok enough to create videos for the business. And we hired that person, Megan Warhurst. If you go to our TikTok, you'll see her featured in many of our videos. Um, and then the other was really, uh, was, was really, we, we had to work super closely with our legal team because the concern around, you know, image rights and song rights and those kinds of things. And we have a very uh, forward-thinking legal team who's partnering with us in it to make sure that as we're, we're treading water, that we're doing it in a way that's responsible and wouldn't put, wouldn't put the business at risk. So I, I think that that probably is a big reason for a lot of B2B companies. One is just the fear of, of the implications of posting content that, that mm -hmm. potentially has some rights usage issues. And then the other is who's going to create who's going to create the content and be comfortable doing it. Yeah. Um, for me, I love funny content. I just, I love humor. And I posted something on LinkedIn a couple of days ago that was, I'm, I'm trying to like infuse some humor into what I do just to kind of mix up my content. And uh, it popped off, right? It got some pretty good exposure. And I think that people just like the lighthearted content to mix things up. Like, yeah, you're here to learn and it's educational on LinkedIn. And it really got the wheels turning for me. Like, man, should I try a different channel and not really get distracted by it, but just kind of explore something like TikTok and maybe have some fun with it. Because even though you might not be talking about exactly what you do and educating a market on why you're different, et cetera, um, just giving awareness to your brand and showing that you're a real person and that you're funny and, and having a good time with life might actually drive just as much demand as putting out educational content. And I, obviously I don't have much data to back that up, but it's just a feeling I have that it's a direction you can go or even something you can do alongside of your content strategy to show, okay, this is a cool brand. They, they have some fun. Oh, they're B2B. Wow. I've never seen that before. Um, that's just my thoughts on it. Yeah. I, I think that, that, that that's absolutely right. And that goes back to how do you really help people be proud of the brands that they're identifying with and the companies that they're working with. And mm -hmm. if you're, if you're a, a B2C marketer, who's really trying to understand social media and how to make an impact. And you know, that this other brand is in it with you, they may not be perfect. If I posted a TikTok video, probably no one would think it was funny, but that we're, we're content creators trying to figure it out together. And we're all trying to figure out how to how to resonate with and, and provide value to our audience. Um, I, for, for us, at least that's what TikTok is. It's not a, it's not a revenue generator. It's really an mm -hmm. insight into who we are as a company. Yeah. And honestly, though, I know it, your intention is it's not a revenue generator, but it could actually help with revenue down the road. And I think that you have the right mindset where you're not going into it saying, I wonder what kind of leads we're going to get because we're posting this content on TikTok. Um, and because of that, you'll probably be rewarded down the road when people remember your brand for X or you made them laugh and now they're following you and they have an affinity toward what you do. And it's the same with LinkedIn. Like if I were to go post on LinkedIn with the intention of getting a lead from the post, then my post would probably flop because it's the wrong intention. And I would yeah. never get and build the audience that I want to because I'm focused on the wrong thing. Instead, I want to create value, educate the market and bring awareness to what we do. And eventually when people want to reach out, they can. So you have the right mindset, which is great. And I would push back and say that it might actually impact and hopefully impact revenue down the road. But obviously your focus isn't that, which is great. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely.
So I want to mix things up here. I don't know if you've ever hosted a podcast, but this is something we do on our show where I hand the mic to you and it gives you the opportunity to ask any questions that you have that might, uh, you might want to ask me. So does anything come to mind for you? Yeah. So I I'd say one, one thing certainly is, um, who is the right audience for podcasts and uh, follow up to that. What has the, the popularity of podcasts changed as a result of the pandemic and not having the car situation going on anymore? Um, so as for the popularity of a podcast, I think that it has stayed pretty much the same. So with ours, we had ours through the pandemic and we saw a dip right around June of 2020. Uh, it was a considerable dip in, in listenership just because I think people were burnt out from being online so much that the last thing they wanted to do was listen to a podcast. Mm-hmm. That has since gone way back up. And I think that that people are still consuming um, content through podcasts. I know myself as a consumer, that's 100% still happening. Um, I think it has kind of shown that like the quality rises to the top more often than not, because I'm listening to one show and that's all I listen to. I don't listen to a bunch because I don't have as much time as I did before um, to listen to them. So I'm more selective. And I think that's more um, often than not the case for a lot of podcast listeners. Um, Your second question was about audience, right? How to identify it. Yeah. What's the right, what's the right audience formatting? Because obviously we're, we have a, we have a podcast uh, on, on our side called state of commerce experience, but we have a very you know, specific audience that we go after from a podcast perspective, what would, would you say that there's a a general age or category or maybe ICP for a podcast that's more appropriate than, than not? I don't really think there is. I mean, if your audience is over 65, maybe even 55, I probably wouldn't go the podcast route. I think it just boils down to knowing your customers um, and talking to them and being like, well, where do you consume content? There was an example I had someone on the show um, a couple of weeks ago and they said they, their audience was, uh, it was like dentists, right? And they realized by talking to customers that they still read these dental magazines. They're barely on Instagram. They're barely on Facebook. And they started putting their content in these magazines. And I looked at that and I thought about it. I'm like, wow, that's, that's wild. I would have never, ever guessed that. But because they knew their customer they knew where they were consuming content and they can put the content right in front of them where they're consuming it. And when it comes to a podcast audience, there's really no uh, demographics that I, that come to mind for me when it comes to who's listening to a podcast and who's not Um, besides like it's very middle-aged more often than not. Um, So that's obviously very broad. So you need to take it deeper and, and talk to your customers, figure out, do they listen to podcasts? What are they listening to? Maybe it's not even creating your own podcast. It, maybe to start out, it's putting um, advertising on someone else's, the one that they're listening to, something like that, and then driving the audience to you down the road. So there's a lot of different avenues you can go, but I think it all starts with just talking to your customers. Yeah, and what, and what do you think? And, that, and that's obviously the, the, the crux of any super good, super good mm-hmm. marketing campaign. What, what do you think, um, having, having been doing this for a while now, is kind of the next evolution of, podcasting because if you think of like our social media media channels they're constantly evolving email marketing is even constantly evolving how we engage on our website is evolving so um the podcast itself is kind of an evolution of talk radio and streaming and Mm -hmm. so what do you think maybe is the next 
thing for podcasting. So for podcasts, a lot of times you see a show that you and I are doing right now. So you have a guest and it's just the two of them talking. Um, something I've seen and I really enjoy listening to is almost the AMA style. So the ask me anything. And it's a pre-recorded event where they, the audience comes in, they ask questions. It's like a keynote style and it's a live event. And then they repurpose it into a podcast. And I only see a couple of companies doing this really well. And I think that now that people are more in person, um, people are going to be excited to go to these things and companies can repurpose the content and put it right on a podcast. I've seen companies do it well. And from a consumer standpoint, that's something I really enjoy listening to is just the back and forth. Some of the off the cuff questions that the host isn't really ready for. Um, kind of like this, um, where we just kind of switch roles. And I think that's the direction that a lot of podcasts will go where it's more of community driven, um, instead of just single hosts talking, um, on their own, or maybe even with a guest, um, kind of bringing in the community to the show is, is really the direction I see podcasts going. Yeah, I think I have seen that on TikTok too. <laughs> on TikTok too. <laughs> when they're reading the, the questions and answering them live, it's always interesting. Yeah, I love those. And I think it's it's really fun in the marketing world. Um, you know who does it well is Refine Labs. Um, Chris Walker, yeah. he does, they do, they repurpose it onto their podcast and it's enjoyable to listen. You get really good content. And uh, I think a lot of companies are just sleeping on it. We kind of, and myself included, put ourselves in a box because everyone does the interview style or everyone has a single host and that's how all the podcasts are going. But just think like, what are people not doing? You don't have to be the next inventor of like the next podcast era. Just simply do it different uh, or differently than what other people are doing. Even if it's just slightly different to help you stand out. That's how I look at it. Yeah, good. Very good. Well, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so to close us out, why don't you give us like the elevator pitch of what Bloomreach does? I know we touched on it a little bit during the episode, but um, for listeners that are curious, what do you guys do? Oh gosh, I didn't, um, I didn't practice for that at all. <laughs> uh, so I, I'd say um, Bloomreach and at least the, the messaging that, that we're working on developing is we're essentially creating the next level of, of commerce where you can really be mm -hmm. connected to your customer. And in order to be, in order for an organization to be connected to your customer, you need to know and understand them in the way that individuals understand relationships with each other. And, and in order to do that, you have to have data. So really Bloomreach is connecting customer and product data to help you have significantly better relationships with your consumers. Mm -hmm. Cool. All right. Well, Amanda, I appreciate you, you hopping on the podcast here. This has been um, a pleasure having you join me and I appreciate you, you being my guest today. Thanks for having me. It was great talking to you.